Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner Brett Boone as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. This episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with another big leaguer named Boone who also happens to be the skipper of the New York Yankees, his brother Aaron Boone. Brothers don't shake hands, brothers gotta hug. And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to Boone Podcast. Today we got a family affair. We've got my little brother, and uh, we call him Arnie around my house. But you know him as the manager of the New York Yankees, Aaron Boone. Arnie, welcome to the podcast. Hey, it's good to finally be on. Let's clear this up right here. What? Where did you come up? Where did the name Arnie come from originally? I know I've always called you that. Mom calls you that. Maddie calls you that, but where did it come from? Do you remember? No, I, I just know it in, in some version of that um, since I can remember. I, I don't know why you guys, you know, so it's evolved into Arnhole, Arnie, Arnie Palmer, Palm Tree, all these versions of it. You know, and it's funny, like, it's one of those names that, like, when you call me that or Maddie or mom or or different people in my life that normally call me that it just sounds so normal. And then all of a sudden somebody that never calls me Arnie that says it out of the blue, it like throws me off and, and gets my attention. But um, I, I don't know. I thought you guys all came up with it when, before I could really think on my own. <laughs> I don't, I, I was, I was thinking about it. Cause I'm thinking, you know, you and me doing an interview is weird for us. It's never really happened. We've been in a lot of interviews together, but I was thinking about how I was going to introduce you. And I said, if I say, hey, welcome to the show, Aaron, Aaron's going to laugh. <laughs> like, Brett, you never call me Aaron. So I was kind of, right. that was my biggest, that was my biggest thing going over the interview was how am I going to introduce, you know, I can introduce him as Uncle Aaron. That's what the yeah. kids call him. But but during the during the show, I'm going to say, "All right, Arn." So I got to let yeah. everybody know he's Arnie to, in the family. Yeah. It, it was so much that when I played with Aaron Seeley in in Seattle, I started calling him Arnie, and he'd look at me like, "Why are you calling me Arnie?" I say, "Yeah, that's what I call him." <laughs> you got the same name. So to this day, if I see Seeley somewhere, I'll say, "Arnie, what's up?" Hey, Brett. He he answers yeah, to so- it. So. So I think that's a perfect way to introduce me so that when you call me Arnie throughout the, throughout the podcast, people uh, w- won't think twice about it. <laughs> they know. They got the briefing right here. Okay. Um, on the podcast, man, I've, I've covered my childhood a lot. I want to get your version. And it's mm-hmm. starting with Gramps to Dad, uh, from the Phillies to the Angels. Take it from there. Well... <clears throat> You know, being in spring training this time of year and, and, and us obviously being in Tampa, um, you know, I came down with Laura and the kids and we came down to spring training this year a week early and we went to Clearwater and spent a week at the beach, which for you and I, Clearwater is like, you know, kind of one of the pillars of our our um, childhood. It was, you know, we we drive down with the family every February. Um, we would get out of school and actually have tutors in Clearwater. And that's where we spent, you know, just, I think a very special part of our childhood. And I know, you know, going to the ballpark with dad, living, 
at the beach and, you know, uh, with those great Philly teams, um, you know, those are some of the best times that we'll ever have in our life. And those are just fond memories. In fact, I got a few iron on shirts, uh, <laughs> me and the kids when we were, uh, when we were in Clearwater a couple of weeks ago, which, which was another thing that we always did in spring training was, you know, in the seventies and, and early eighties, iron on shirts were a big thing. So I always remember going and picking out a shirt with what iron on we were going to get on the shirt. And that was a big part of our childhood, but, but certainly, you know, those Phillies teams, those great Philly teams, and the memories we have. And, and for you and I to be able to, um, you know, go really, you know, kind of live that life and go to the ballpark and have, have the kind of access that we had as kids and being around the kind of players and um, teams that we were around. Um, you know, those, those are things I think about and, and reminisce on all the time. Um, you know, then going to, to moving to California um, when dad went to the angels, kind of going back home in a lot of sense. And, you know, when you think about grandma and grandpa and, and them being from San Diego and kind of our entire extended family being from San Diego, it was us kind of going back home. And, and I think for you and I and Maddie, uh, you know, getting to then not only continue to go to the ballpark and be around dad, but, um, you know, I think continue to develop our sports career, our baseball career in Southern California, um, was something that was, was beneficial for us. And, and you mentioned the Phillies, obviously a huge part of our childhood growing up, but, uh, we got to see dad win a world series in 1980. And mm-hmm. I want to touch on a little bit still to this day, you out there listening to the Boone podcast, Aaron Boone is one of the still the biggest Philly sports fan out. Eagles games come up, Sixers. Tell us a little bit about you growing up and your favorite Sixers, and and still to this day, you you fly that Eagle flag along with, of course, USC. Yeah, well, actually, this podcast is going on in the middle of a Sixers game, who are leading the Eastern Conference right now, and they're playing the Raptors tonight. So. Um, you know, they're in the midst of a really good season. It's a fun team to follow. But, yeah, you know, obviously the great Phillies teams that dad got to play on and, you know, that we got to experience and live was awesome. But it was a great time to be a kid in in the Philly area. I mean, because the 76ers were great. And, you know, my favorite player and my kind of childhood hero was Mo Cheeks. You know, I know you loved Andrew Tony. And, and, you know, and when Moses Malone finally came and they finally got over the hump and were able to beat the Celtics and the Lakers to finally win a championship, that was like amazing. Um, the Flyers were great. Um, the Eagles got to a Super Bowl and lost to the Raiders. And I remember, you know, as a seven-year-old going to Vet Stadium when they beat the Cowboys in the NFC Championship. So it's something that my Philly sports uh, fandom. Um, I definitely, uh, took with me to Southern California, you know, continued to follow my favorite teams from there, the Eagles and the Sixers. And, uh, you know, still to this day, and I've kind of passed it on to my boys and, you know, so we watch a lot of Sixers and Eagles and, and pre COVID now living on the East coast. Um, 
you know, we've gone down to some Sixers and some Eagles games, which is a lot of fun in the off season for us to do. And, you know, when I walk around and, and, and people talk about our childhood and, you know, what it was like growing up. And, and the question is, did you and Aaron hang out much? Because there's a four years, di- four year difference. Uh, I'm four years older than Aaron. And they ask about our childhood. I'll say. It's interesting because my buddies who were my age, some of my buddies were a year older than me. So four and five years older than Aaron. They really liked Aaron. And so it, it was kind of a, you know, we were at we were at crazy age where sometimes, oh, you can't bring your little brother around. But Aaron was always uh, allowed to tag along by my buddy or tag along by my buddies. They gave it the OK. So I always tell them about the imitations you used to do. And, and some of the games, you know, were the guys were a little too big for you. So I said, we'd be playing dunk ball in a garage at our buddy down the street. And Aaron, Aaron wasn't allowed to play, but he'd keep scoring. He'd call the game. So I remember those vividly. I was talking to mom the other night about, hey, give me some Aaron stories. And she said, uh, remember, Brett, when you went to the Connie Mack World Series and, yeah. and Aaron came and he was interviewing all the players and, and uh, before the game and he would sit up in the stands and, and do the games. I remember those, you know, clear as day. Harry Callis being a huge part of your your childhood. And I know and I remember before Harry Callis passed away, uh, you had him on your answering service. But uh, mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that and, and how that all developed, doing all the imitations, Dave Cash and Pete Rose. Talk a little bit about it. Yeah, so, um, man, so a lot to unpack there. I'll try and get to all of it. So, yeah, since I can remember, I, I guess imitations were something that um, – you know, we're, we're always something I was, I would do, I guess I consider myself very observant and, and notice maybe little quirky nuanced things, um, about people. Um, and I always have, and, you know, from a very young age, you know, I was, I was the three-year-old kid that as much as I love playing all the sports and playing the games, which I did, I love to sit and watch too, you know, you know, I would sit in the stands when I was three and four years old, when the kids were in the playroom and mom would say, you know, I'm sitting on the stoop watching every game and watching just the mannerisms of the players and the movements of the players. Um, you know, I think back to, you know, kind of the soundtrack of my childhood and remember, you know, falling asleep to Phillies games with Harry Callis and Richie Ashburn and Andy Musser calling games, you know, and, and you hear people talk about, you know, games on the radio, especially that are baseball fans. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a soundtrack of their childhood. That's very much the case for me. Um, so imitations just kind of evolved at a very young age. And, and when we used to have the, the, um, kids game, the father, son, daughter game in Philly, um, you know, one of the things, probably when I was four and five years old is Harry Callis would, would narrate the, the, the children's game on the field on the P over the PA at veteran stadium. And usually at some point in the game, he would have me come up and do my imitation. So like you said, Dave cash from, from was one of the guys I did at a very young age and, and then getting into the Larry Boas and bake McBride's and Pete roses. And it's still to this day, you know, whether it's a little walk or a little 
tick or a little something that somebody does, I'll, I'll break it out every now and then. And I, I find it one of those things that's kind of, you know, add, add some levity. It's, it's add some fun to the room and something that I've always enjoyed doing. As far as being a kid um, <laughs> with you, um, you know, I tell people all the time that um, you were, you were a great older brother as a kid and, and you did let me tag along. And, and I think in a lot of ways it helped develop my sports career because, you know, I was, I had to, I had to kind of hold my own and hang a little bit with older kids. And, um, and I, and I think it helped me, you know, as a basketball player, as a football player, as a baseball player, whatever it may be, you know, getting able to run around and play and have to hold your own a little bit with, with older kids, um, I think was, was valuable in my, my sports development, but that wouldn't have been possible if, if you weren't, uh, pretty cool when we were kids to, to drag me along with you. All right. We talked to Phil. We, uh, I want to talk about the players a little bit, you know, Pete mm-hmm. and, uh, Greg Uzinski, the bull, Schmitty, Boa, when dad goes to the angels, we've got, you know, uh, Rod Carew, Reggie Jackson, Freddie Lynn. We grew, we got to grow up with some pretty, uh, in some pretty special times on some pretty special teams. I know yeah. my feelings about it. Did you have a favorite? Um, I, I think Bake McBride was probably my, my guy on the Phillies that I, that I loved. Um, but, but really, I mean, all those guys that you mentioned, um, you know, they, they were just such a big part of our life. And, um, you know, so it was just a lot of fun being around those guys. I loved Freddie Lynn, you know, when we first went over to the angels, uh, and he was obviously there, um, you know, Reggie Jackson, um, was, was somebody that took a liking to me and treated me really well when I was a kid. And now, you know, coming to the Yankees, you know, he's, he's been a guy that, you know, before COVID, you know, was always involved and around and, um, you know, always in our clubhouse here with the Yankees. So, you know, I've got to be around him a lot as an adult and talk about some of the stories that, you know, when I was a nine and 10 year old kid, just, uh, some of the things that, that we got to do together. So, I mean, we're lucky that dad played, on a lot of great teams with a lot of, you know, hall of fame players slash, you know, close to hall of fame players. And, and, and I think we, we grew up in an era where you and I got to do so we had so much access and we were able to be in the clubhouse and be on the field and do things that you really aren't able to do now. Kids aren't able to do now that, that we were able to. And I think we reap the benefits of that. So we're jumping to the mid eighties. Dad's dad's now playing for the angels and mm-hmm. uh, we, we moved to Southern Cal. I go off to college. I go to yeah. USC where you would follow me several years later. And uh, recently on the podcast, we've had Steve Sachs and, and Mike Sosha, you know, the Dodgers mm-hmm. and in that 1988 uh, Dodger <laughs> team. Yeah. So, and, and I'm sure if you've listened to the podcast, you've heard the story. Give us your version of the scooter ride. I'll set the I'll set the stage a little bit. I'm I'm a I'm at USC. Uh, Arnie comes up to visit. He's a, he's in high school, and yep. uh, so there's the stage. 
You're up at SC yeah, visiting so Big Brother. I, I think and, I and was, we're going to head to the playoff game. Yes. Yeah, so, so I think I was a sophomore in high school, which meant you were a sophomore in college. And um, yeah, so I, I came up to visit you and um, our, our dear friend, rest in peace, Dr. John was able to get us some, some tickets to the game one of the world series between the Dodgers and the A's. And you and I, as you know, dad being an, an angels player, you know, the, the Dodgers were always kind of the enemy, you know, especially, you know, first with the Phillies, you know, the rivalries, the Phillies and the Dodgers had East West and, and the Dodgers keeping the Phillies from getting to the world series a couple times. And then we go to, to the angels and, and, you know, everything's Dodger blue and the angels are kind of the second team there. So, you know, I don't think we're the biggest Dodgers fans, but you know, we're sports fans and here we are the world series. So we go to game one and here we are in, you know, USC and Los Angeles and lo and behold, let's hop on the scooter and, and drive to the game. So here we are me on the back of your scooter weaving in and out of traffic like bumper to bumper Los Angeles going to a world series at Dodger stadium traffic. And we're on a scooter, you know, just weaving through traffic. Like what are these kids doing? And at one of the points when we're in heavy traffic, we look over and we see Mike Gillespie and Frank Sanchez, the head coach at SC and the pitching coach at SC. And, you know, they're used to some of your shenanigans and never surprised by something you might've been doing, but they just kind of look at us and shake their head a little bit. We go to the game and, um, you know, for the longest time, I didn't admit this, but, you know, we left pretty early. <laughs> you know, we <laughs> yeah, we did. Around. <laughs> we're, we're in the, the highest point in the farthest two seats in right field that you could possibly be. But we were there. I don't remember much about the game other than I was back in Orange County by the time Kirk Gibson hit the home run. So it was a short-lived night for us, I guess, typical Southern California fans when your main team is definitely not the Dodgers. <laughs> and, and that's how I, I remember it that way, except where I thought Lasorda got us the tickets. But it was it was a family. Fr- uh, Aaron has corrected me on the program. It was a family friend yeah. of ours, and his name was Doctor. I don't know why Lasorda's in my mind. All right, you cleared it up. So now, yeah, and I'm sure was that scooter registered? Was my registration uh, up to snuff? I believe it was. I, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now I got a question for you. We've never talked about this. I uh-huh. leave for college because we had the yeah. four year difference. Our youngest brother, Matthew, is is 10 years my junior. So six years Aaron's junior. When I went off to uh, college, you know how you are as a college kid. It, it becomes a little bit more about you and, and doing the college things you do and playing college baseball. So I was away. Big brother was away. Did you have that kind of. Uh, what was it like when I left for you and Matthew? How how was that? Was did it resemble anything like our childhood? <laughs> um, yeah. So let's say you you graduated high school in eighty seven and then went off. Now, you know what what should be noted here is you went to El Dorado High School with Phil Nevin, um, correct? Which was a different high school than I went to. You know to. Long story short, when we moved to California, we lived somewhere where you went to school and then we moved 
like a year later. So eventually we went to different high schools about 15, 20 minutes apart. So, you know, I wasn't going to school or I wouldn't even say, I guess I wasn't in your shadow or, you know, around, you know, friends of, or family members that you went to school with, you know, so I was kind of just making my own track in, at Villa Park high school, you know, with, with my friends and playing the different sports. I think what was cool for me was um, when you went away to college, you know, it was close enough that, you know, we were, I was up there a fair amount, you know, I got to occasionally go up there and, and see, you know, see you and stay with you and Damon Buford in your, in your little apartment or, you know, get to go be around the USC baseball program, which I, you know, I very much wanted to, to do someday and wanted to aspire to that. And I remember like, you know, all the great players that you played with and the Jeff Cirillo and Brett Jenkins and Mark Smith and Rodney Pete and John Jackson. And like you guys, that seemed so far away for me in a lot of ways. Cause I didn't feel like you guys felt like big leaguers to me in a lot of ways, but it also gave me something to aspire to because like, I, I think I wanted to be a Trojan probably even before you, you did. And, and this gave me a taste of that. And it made, it allowed me to be around the program and kind of get to know the coaches a little bit. And um, I, I used to love going up to those games on, on the weekends, you know, with, with mom and, and watching those six games that were a lot of fun for me and, and really gave me something to shoot for and aspire to. And luckily I was able to get there after you. So it was SC all the way for you. See, SC uh, was a last minute choice for me. Yes. But it sounds, it sounds like you always wanted to go to USC. Did you ever consider another college? Well, I, I did. I, I, I think since around sixth or seventh grade, I wanted to go to SC. You know, I remember watching Marcus Allen jump over the pile in a Rose Bowl game. And I just, I was, I just always wanted to be a Trojan. And then when you went there, it became more real and I got to taste it a little bit more and I got to see it a little bit more. Um, and then, you know, then getting recruited by them. And I think I ended up committing to them late in my junior year. Um, but yeah, I was actually very close. I, I became close with the, with the coach at, um, Loyola Marymount and LMU, you know, was, was a, when I was in high school and when you were in college, LMU was a very good college baseball program in Southern California. You know, there was Loyola Marymounts, Long Beach States, Cal State Fullerton, like those schools that weren't the big football schools or whatever, but they were awesome Southern California baseball schools. And Loyola was like that at the time. And I had become very close with the coach. Um, so it was actually a place that I very strongly considered going, but ultimately, um, you know, my heart was with the Trojans. I, I love coach Gillespie. You know, the only thing for me was, <clears throat> did I want to consider playing football too in college, which probably meant maybe going, uh, a smaller school like a USD where I could play division three football and play baseball. Um, cause when I got to college, one thing I did miss my freshman year, you know, you become homesick, you, whatever it is that different people experience. My thing was, I really missed football and, uh, you know, eventually I got past that and got over that smartly enough, 
and uh, I settled in and, and ended up love being a Trojan for three years. All right, so we'll get to a serious subject. So you, you go to SC, and you're going through the routine physicals that we have every year, mm-hmm. and uh, you, they, they had a finding. And, and it's something that kind of brought our family closer together, you know, to, to have something that uh, kind of – I don't know. At the time, I don't think it was dire, but it was kind of a wake-up call. Um, Tell the audience about what you went through with with the uh, initial initial physical uh, about your heart condition. Yeah, so it was my freshman year. Dr. Lurie, who is still my cardiologist, who I'm still in contact with um, periodically. Um, he he was the cardiologist, and and really in my our routine physical, you know, for for athletics at USC he heard, you know, essentially what was like a murmur. So they wanted to do some more tests, follow up and, and found out that I had this condition that, you know, ultimately I was, I was born with and and didn't know because, you know, even up to the point when I had surgery in 2009, it was always something that was, you know, I I never had any symptoms, you know, I never, I never felt anything from it. Um, But the one thing it did was it made me aware that, you know, I had this and and knew that someday in the future, it was probably something that was going to come due that I was going to have to get fixed or, and eventually have surgery. So it was really something that I just had to kind of monitor every year with, you know, whatever echocardiograms and, um, you know, fast forward to 2009. So this was 1990 probably 1992 when it was first discovered. Basically, I just kind of had my checkups and follow-ups every year. It wasn't anything that, you know, drastically impacted my life or, or anything, didn't affect my um, baseball career uh, until 2009 when it was my last year playing. I was with a new team with the Astros in spring training and, you know, in my kind of yearly checkups, um, I remember Dr. Lurie just saying, I think it's time, you know, whatever measurements, you know, they measure, they said, it's getting to a point to where you're going to have to go in and get it fixed. And um, so I remember driving cross country from, uh, from Kissimmee, Florida, where I was in spring training with the, with the Astros. And, um, you know, along that drive home, um, Stanford university, we kind of settled on where I was going to get it done and who, who was going to operate on me. And, um, you know, went home and, and really almost immediately headed up to Stanford and started getting prepped up and ultimately had, uh, open heart surgery and, uh, and, you know, cleaned up the problem and had a successful surgery. And, um, and, and the cool part about one of the cool parts about it was, was my last season playing, um, and I had that surgery in March and the Astros were great. They treated me great. They supported me, you know, kind of, you know, really went out of their way to kind of treat me like someone that had been there a long time. And, um, you know, ultimately I was able to make it back and play in the month of September and kind of go out, uh, standing up on the field. So that was, that was kind of a neat way and a nice way to, to end things from a career standpoint. Yeah, and I remember to the audience out there, I, I remember going up 
you know, when I got the news that, that Aaron's got to have surgery. So, you know, from a family standpoint, it's a pretty big deal. Your, your little brother's having an open heart surgery. Got up to Stanford. I remember sitting there watching you, you know, before you're going to go in talking, you tell you it's going to be all right. And, you know, mom, imagine being a mom, but being mom in that situation and dad's keeping it together. But I was yeah. having pretty good behind the scenes talk with the doctors and, and they did a really good job. They said, Brett, this is a walk in the park for me. Don't worry about it. Your brother's going to be fine. This is, it sounds scary. And I said, well, I'll tell you, if, if I'm Aaron and I'm sitting on that table, it, it more than sounds scary. But I think from a family standpoint, from an older brother standpoint, at least, you know, I can speak for that myself. Uh, man, he really put me in a good spot. That when you went under, I knew you were in great hands and I didn't worry one bit because he was that, you know, when someone just talks to you and they're just so confident, it's like, yep. no, don't, don't even be worried about it at all. But I couldn't imagine. I said, you know, cause I'm trying to talk to mom. I'm talking to dad. I'm talking to the doctor. Uh, but then I thought, well, Aaron's on that table, not me. He's easier said than done when I'm on the outside watching him get it done. And his, his immediate family with Laura and the, and the kids at the time. Um, but I knew you were in good hands and I knew everything was going to be all right. And you ended up making out of it great. And, um, you know, pretty, pretty humbling time though. Pretty humbling time. And and it just puts life into perspective a little bit. All right. Yeah. And I think it's one of those things that's probably, you know, actually is probably harder on those, you know, that, that like you guys, the family and Laura and, and, you know, really good friends of mine that came up there and, and were kind of by my side. And I'm sure that unknown of having me go through that surgery and waiting, I'm sure in a lot of ways, like emotionally is, is probably, um, you know, a lot harder on you guys. And, um, I was just grateful and, you know, lucky to be able to have you guys there with me and see, see you guys when I came out of things. (laughs) All right. So we'll, we're going to skip to, uh, (laughs) <laughs> and I forget about this. People remind me of it once in a while. They're like, didn't you get set down for your brother to be called up? And then, you know, you, you probably heard the David Bell segment where uh, I, yeah. I talked to him about him and Uncle Aaron. Who, who's going to get thrown out first tonight? <laughs> you know, I think that's kind yeah. of the ongoing thing. But um, talk a little bit about <laughs> Your debut in the big leagues. You came up yeah. for me who got sent to the minor leagues. Jim Bowden at the time, uh, general manager of the Reds, sent me down for three days to call Aaron up. And I'm watching from a triple-A clubhouse. I'm watching Aaron get thrown out at the plate and get thrown out of the game. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so, I mean, kind of a bittersweet time, you know, knowing that you had gotten sent down. And actually, you I think there was an off day or something. So you came down. And it was very weird because, you know, at that point, even though you were struggling that season, you were, you know, an established big leaguer and you were coming down and, you know, I'm the prospect coming up through triple A. And, you know, so I got to play with you a game down there, which was very weird. Um, But then I walk in after the game and get the call and you're there and, you know, you were great. You're like, just, you know, go get them and I'll see you soon. And um, so going to St. Louis first game, Bush stadium, you know, uh, you know, I think it was a Friday night, you know, Bush stadium, St. Louis always drew well, always good team. Um, so it was just cool, you know, realizing, 
you know, something you think about, you know, since you can remember. And so there's all that. And, and plus, you know, just the nerves of playing in your first major league game. So um, fast forward, I think it's around the sixth or seventh inning and tie game. I get a base hit. Um, and I, I drive in, I drive in my, I get my first base hit, drive in my first run. We take the lead. I, I, I think I stole second and Joe Oliver gets a base hit to right field. So here I come coming around third base. I'm sliding in, there's a play at the plate and I kind of slide to the, you know, to the side of the catcher and, and I'm, I think I tapped the plate with my left hand as I'm sliding by. Well, as I'm sliding by Gary Darling, the home plate umpire is calling me out and, and I'm, I'm kind of in a pop-up slide as I'm tapping home plate and I see the out call and it wasn't that I was ready to argue with them or, or get in a fight with them or <laughs> certainly get kicked out of the game, but I just kind of, my reaction was no, and I, and I took my helmet off and I bounced my helmet, you know, having no idea. And, and my helmet catapults about eight feet in the air. And I mean, that helmet's not out of my hand before, you know, Gary Darling is just, I mean, just crow hopping and throwing me out of the game. And I remember walking off the field, you know, kind of in a panic, like, what have I done? Because that was a time when, you know, you still had to earn a reputation with the umpires and you had to, you know, <laughs> veterans, you know, did get pre better calls and things like that. It doesn't happen. I don't think as much anymore, but it was definitely something that, you know, I had this fear, like, am I going to be blackballed? Am I going to be talked about? And all I can remember is walking up to the clubhouse in Bush stadium. And it was kind of a veteran team. And I remember John Smiley, Dave Burba, Jeff Brantley are on the couch in the clubhouse charting the game. And they just look at me as I enter the clubhouse, like in this panic, like I'm, I've just ruined my career. I'm going to be blackballed. And they're, they're dying laughing. And they're just like, Hey, we loved it. We got your fine. And so the next night, fast forward, the home plate umpire, Gary Darling is at third base I go out there and I'm kind of sheepish, sheepish and nervous and like, you know, just want to go say, hey, I wasn't trying to show you up or, <laughs> you know, and kind of tail between my legs. And he's standing there with his arms crossed and he finally kind of breaks the silence. He goes, you're all right. I checked up on you. I heard you're a good dude. So don't worry about it. So it was kind of a relief. And, um, you know, it, it's one of those stories that actually Gary Darling and I it kind of bonded us over the years. We'd always kind of laugh about it every time uh, we'd see each other uh, on the diamond. Yeah, it's funny because I remember watching it crack it up going, <laughs> he didn't mean anything by it. He, he threw his helmet down like, no, no, I was definitely. And, and the next yeah. thing you know, you're getting thrown out. But you got to know you to know that there was there was nothing in your mind that you were trying to show up the umpire or, or – uh, you know, make a scene, but yeah. That's, right. I think people, I don't, you never got kicked out, right? Of a game. I got kicked out one time. It was illegitimate. One, it was on a bad call. And I got he kicked was, out of like five or six games in my career. And, and when you tell people that, you know, I guess prior to me managing, that people would be like, 
No, Brett had to get kicked out more. And I was actually the one getting kicked out. Yeah, I never. you and David Bell, still. You get kicked out <laughs> weekly. I never right. get kicked out. Well, See, I know how to do it. I know how to go right up to the limit, and I just back yeah. off the gas pedal. Yeah, I can teach you that one day. All right, yeah. Well, you can pass that on. Although David <laughs> Bell has taken it to a new level. He's setting records with his ejections. He's unbelievable. He's that little <laughs> got that little furnace inside. That's he is right. a piece of work. Love him. He's a piece of work. Um, let's jump to the '98 season. We get to play together, and mm-hmm. you know the, the over the intent the intensity of a season uh, to the people listening that haven't gone through a, a big league season. It's it's different. You know, of course, you want to sit there and oh, I get to play with my brother and. But the big league season is so intense and you put so much, you know, I don't know if it's pressure, but onus on yourself to prepare and all oh, my swing, I got to get my swing right. And we're facing X, Y, and Z the next three days. So when people talk about uh, us playing together for that season in 98, I just said, it wasn't a big deal. You know, my brother was there. We got to have an occasional dinner together, uh, maybe lunch. But he was basically my third baseman, and and I had the same, uh, you know, I had the same thought process: give me the ball, get it to me quick. I didn't think of Aaron, my little brother's playing third. I said, "That's my third baseman. That's who I turn to with, and give me the ball quick." Uh, what do you remember about that '98 season? And at the time, well, our father, I think Dad was in the front office with the Reds. Yeah, I think he had joined the front office with the Reds at that point. Um, so. I remember it being a, a good year, like a resurgent year for you, where you were coming off a, a tough season and you ended up having a really good year. And um, I think you made the all-star team that year, but I had, I had gotten called up basically that cup of coffee or, you know, September call up in 97, made the team out of spring training in 98, but as a bench player and, still at that point, you know, I was younger and and still a prospect. So I wasn't getting a lot of playing time in the first few weeks. So they sent me down back to triple a and I really wasn't playing great in triple a. I had had a really good year there in 97, my first year in triple a. But when I went back down, you know, I, I didn't play great for a couple months and it was an injury that got me back to Cincinnati. And, you know, I think it was late July or early August, so I got to become essentially I got the chance to to be the starter at third base that final couple of months and with you. So um, it was cool for me um, to just because, you know, I knew a lot of the veteran players in the Reds organization, mostly because of you, because, you know, I was around you. So I got to know those guys a little bit. So I think it was it made it a little more comfortable, you know, sometimes getting called up and and taking over and trying to take a job and become a starter can be a little daunting or, or a challenge. But I I just think the the fact that I was comfortable had a chance to stay with you those final two months and, and kind of played well and kind of grabbed the position, um, you know, was a memorable time and, and getting to do it alongside you was, was really cool for me. And, you know, Savannah was a baby at the time or, you know, one or two years old at the time. So it was cool getting to be around her. And um, so it was, it was a special time and, and an important few months for me in my development and kind of establishing myself 
in a career when when you had kind of already done that and 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 were becoming an all-star player. Uh, and those Reds teams, you know, I I, I got traded uh, after the '98 season. I went over to the Braves. Uh, you went on to have some real good years with Cincinnati and and some pretty good teams over there. I remember pretty fun teams, you know, fun teams mm-hmm. to watch. You guys had an amazing bond over there. You got to play for Dad. Talk a little bit about those Reds teams and playing for Dad. I never had yeah. the opportunity to do it. Yeah, so. Um, I always tell people the, the 1999 red. So the year after you left, when you went to Atlanta and, uh, and, and got to the world series with the Braves, um, 99 is when I, you know, really took hold of the position. And to this day, whether you, you count college, little league, whatever you want to say, the 1999 reds is the funnest time I've ever had playing baseball. It was just such a, just an awesome blend of kind of young players establishing themselves. It was, you know, like me and Pokey Reese and Sean Casey and, and Mike Cameron and Demetri Young and these guys, but with these just great veteran presence of the, like the Greg Vaughn, Barry Larkin, Hal Morris's Pete Harnish of the world. It was just this team that was so close and, and we did so much together guys from like, that, that have been in the league forever to, to rookies. We just all hang, hung out together and spent a lot of time together. We ended up winning 96 games that year, and, and nobody really expected that. But that was the funnest year I've ever had playing baseball. And then in 2001, um, Dad got the job. Um, so I got to play for him two and a half years until he was fired, and then I was traded at the deadline to the Yankees. So it was it – was, it was great. I mean, it really was. It was cool having mom and dad there, um, you know, having mom and dad away from the field, you know, to to be there, to be able to do stuff together. Um, you know, I think some people thought it was, it was weird that, you know, was it weird for Aaron to have to play for his dad? And I was, I was able to separate, you know, any – weirdness that I I think would have existed. And, and I always had a thing that I just wanted the players on the team. And at that point I had probably, I had established myself a little bit and was one of the leaders on the team. And, you know, I, the only thing I always, the only thing I never wanted to happen was for people to feel like, you know, in the course of the season, guys are going to get mad at the manager. And so guys are going to be mad at that. I never wanted to feel like guys had to watch what they were saying around me. And maybe I'm a little naive, but I never felt that way. I always felt like I was their teammate at the field and, you know, he was our manager and it was, then it was kind of easy to separate and, and have him, him and mom there as mom and dad away from the field. So it was kind of the best of both worlds, really. All right. Let's skip to, uh, Oh, three. Mm-hmm. You traded at the deadline. That, mm-hmm. that big, uh, big deal. You go to the Yankees and, um, you know, that when people, uh, that was 2003. I was with the Mariners and, uh, Fox had talked me into doing, being that third man <laughs> in the booth. And it's like, that's the last thing on earth I wanted to do was be in the booth. And I had, you know, I went in, if you watch the tapes, uh, 
ladies and gentlemen, you'll see that I wasn't exactly into the to the telecast. <laughs> but nevertheless, uh, they paid me enough money, and I thought, well, at least I get to see Aaron play in the postseason. I, that 03 Mariner team, we had a really good team. We, I think we won 94, 95 games and didn't make it to the postseason. That's when that, that AL West was so competitive. So I was kind of burnt. It was the end of the season. Somehow they talked me into it. I ended up going out there, and I got to see you play. And uh, mm-hmm. we've all heard my version of it, but just tell the version. And, and start with the, the night before, because you were having a rough postseason. And uh, mm-hmm. cue up the night before when, when I came over to your apartment and met with you and, and see if our versions match. Well, all right. So so we, we play the division series. We play the Twins. I actually had a – you know, played well and, you know, we, we beat the Twins three games to one and then we're kind of waiting and – and the Red Sox eventually, I, th- I think in five games, and after being down probably two to one, maybe even, um, came back and beat the A's. So here it comes, you know, oh three Red Sox, oh three Yankees, kind of, you know, one of the peaks, peak times of the rivalry, just two heavyweight great teams. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not having a great series by any means. I'm scuffling and, you know, one of the things about me as a player is I was kind of streaky. <laughs> so when I was, when I was rolling pretty good, I was a pretty good player, but when I struggled, I, I, I could struggle with the best of them. And, and this was a time when I just was not having a good series. Um, so we get to game seven and I kind of had a feeling that maybe I wouldn't be playing because Enrique Wilson, who was our backup infielder had amazing numbers against uh, Pedro. So I didn't start, I think it was game three against Pedro in Boston. And then I didn't start game seven, but I do remember you coming by where Laura and I lived um, in, in the city. And, you know, I guess probably it was a, talking me it up, was a somber, me up it was a somber I, environment. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, here we are in the playoffs. We got a chance to go to the world series and, and I'm not playing well, and I know there's a chance I'm not in the lineup in game seven, and here I am, one of the guys they traded for at the deadline to help them be one of the guys that, you know, puts us over the top, and um, here I am not not getting it done, and, you know, so <laughs> it was a little bit of a downtime, so, um, you know, I, I just remember you coming in and kind of just, you know, in your way, kind of laughing and like, hey, and I remember a conversation you had had with me when I was in AAA one time when I was struggling, when I went back from the big leagues and you're like, you know, you're going to go through these times. This, this game's going to, this game's going to get you. This game's going to humble you. You're going to face adversity all the time. And here I am in, in the league championship series, struggle a little bit. And I think you just, you know, help bring a little levity to the moment encouraged me, you know, said, Hey, you never know. You know, it's, you know, I, I think you'd probably even said like one play, one swing, one important at bat or defensive play, whatever it may be, you know, changes the whole outlook. And so I go in that day for game seven, I'm not in the lineup. Um, and we get off to a terrible start in the game where, you know, they get to Clemens early, Pedro's rolling, Um, and I'm sitting over there just like, man, here I am traded at the deadline. I'm not playing in game seven and we're down and we could lose 
game seven at home to the Red Sox. So um, you kind of, those are some of the thoughts you're trying to avoid and, and get out of your mind. Cause you're trying to, you gotta be, a, you gotta be ready. You gotta be mentally sharp because you know, you could be called on at any point. And the cool thing about that game was the, the amount of guys that just did awesome things to kind of keep us in the game. And, you know, Mike Messina coming out in, in his first and only uh, relief appearance in his career and gets out of a bases loaded situation when we're down like four, nothing like to get out of that. Like if they get a hit there, or score a couple more runs, it's probably over. Jason Giambi, who who was actually having a tough postseason as well, hit two big solo homers to kind of keep us in the game, to keep us within striking distance, and and then we just put that rally together in the eighth inning. And uh, the, the thing about that game that I do remember is, you know, at that point I'd really only been a starter in my career, so I I didn't really have a lot of experience or know what it was like coming off the bench. So I remember actually pinch running, I think, in the eighth inning or whenever I went into the game and it being a little bit weird, but the fact that I pinch ran and actually got to play a few innings and got to play at third base, um, I think helped me get into the flow of the game and kind of settle in a little bit. And then, uh, you know, Mariano has three shutout innings and, and the 11th inning rolls around. And, um, you know, one of the things I remember, running off the field in the 11th inning when, you know, I obviously haven't swung the bat well at all, but I know I'm leading off the inning. I know I'm facing Wakefield who I faced a lot down the stretch that year. And, and in the, in the championship series and in the games prior and had very little success, but I remember running off the field and for whatever reason, feeling like I'm going to do something here. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, first pitch <laughs> I happened to run into one and it, it turned into uh, a bad series turned into a pretty good one in a hurry well, I just remember I just remember I, I remember coming to the ballpark that day you know getting ready to go up into the booth seeing that you weren't in the lineup and you know we had talked the night before and and kind of just the big brother kind of I didn't say anything to anybody but I just kind of gave it that damn it okay that's not a good yeah. start you know, I know he's feeling bad right now. This is going to make him feel a little worse uh, because we'd all been there. I'd been through tough times in my career. I'd been through struggling times. Shoot, I got sent down for my little brother one time. So I've, I've been there, <laughs> done that. Um, but I remember going into the booth and, you know, there's a little bit of chatter like, oh, how's Aaron feeling? I don't know how he's feeling. Why don't you go talk to him? So we get through the game and I remember you entering the game and just thinking in my brain, just because I'd – you know, those ups and downs. And I'm thinking, well, maybe this is a good, because normally when, when you're feeling good and you're locked in, the last thing you want to see is a knuckleballer. Uh, right. You want that classic over the top. What's he got? He's got 92, 93 sliders, 84, 85, you know, his changeups, 80. Okay. That's what we're, we're, we're programmed. We train to hit, but that knuckleball <laughs> screws you up. But I'm thinking in this case, Aaron's got no chance off that 92, 93, 84, 85 mile an hour slider. Maybe this is what he needs right now. <laughs> and I remember that swing and you hit now because it was a no doubter when you hit it. And I just remember standing up in the booth and being, it was, it was one of the most, the coolest moments you ever had that had nothing to do with yourself. 
<laughs> and it was like, I was so happy for you. I didn't even know what to say. And I remember, you know, they got that, you got your earplug in and the truck's going, Brett, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you do? I, that was my reaction. And then the truck's going, okay, silence is better. Silence is better. Let, let the crowd, <laughs> you know, explain. I didn't care what they were saying in my ear. That's what I was going through. And I remember that night being so proud of you and so happy for you that I made my, I did something that in a million years and people that know me know this, I would never go into an opponent's mm -hmm. locker room, let alone the New York Yankees. But I made my way down there. I had to fight off Billy Crystal saying, don't you know who I am? <laughs> but I said, I got to see Aaron. And I went in and I remember still a little bit uncomfortable. I knew and respected all those Yankees at the time. And I didn't want, by no means that I wanted to get into the middle of your celebration, but I just needed to give you a hug. I went in there really cool. I, and I remember giving you a hug saying, man, I am so proud of you. I'll see you later. And, and then I felt, you know, I said hi to Giambi and hey, booty. <laughs> and I'm going, I'm not supposed to be here. I just, this was too big of a moment for me to let go. And I remember how cool that was. And then I just got out of there as, as quick as I could, because that's kind of the, the enemy's territory. But to this day, just one of the coolest moments and obviously one of the greatest mo uh, postseason moments and one of the biggest postseason home runs. In the and that's the first time anybody ever called me uh, Aaron Boone's brother was after that <laughs> night. And, uh, <laughs> and I said, I'll, I'll take it right now. I will take that. I'd be honored to do that. But um, let's talk about that offseason. Talk about going from highest of highs to lowest of lows. You have you blow yeah. out the ACL at a pickup game, and to be honest, you did you did something that not too many players that I played with or know would quite frankly have the balls to do. <laughs> you went to your general manager Cashman at the time, and and you were honest with him. And I, and I don't think in today's you know uh, there's not too many people I know. I, I know you would. I know my father would. Uh, tell the truth about something because you're not allowed to play pickup basketball when you sign a major league contract and yeah. uh, tell the story. I, I, yeah, tell so, the story. Uh, yeah. So I think it was early January. I had already um, avoided arbitration and I was in my second year arbitration. And I, so I, I signed my contract. Um, we agreed. And then it was actually a Friday night. And that day with my trainer, I didn't do my cardio and my brother-in-law was in town and he was going to play pickup basketball. And it was something that I very, I, I, I had never been to this place and I had never done this and, you know, didn't pl play a lot of basketball in the winter, but I'm like, Oh, this would be perfect. We're not doing anything. It's Friday night. I can go get up and down the court a little bit, play a little hoop. And, you know, we're not, you know, we're not, three minutes into the game and we're running up and down the court and I've gone up and down a couple of times. It's not like I'm banging or anything. It's not like I'm just kind of moving around and shooting and uh, we're playing full court. And this guy <clears throat> saves the ball from out of bounds under the, under the b basket kind of over my head. I'm on defense over my head by the free throw line and I'm going the other way. And, and so it's almost going over my head like a, like I'm catching a football pass and I'm going the other way. And as I'm getting the ball and getting ready to put it down, this guy just comes from out of nowhere and just wipes me out. 
And I had torn my ACL before in 2000 with the Reds. And this was very different. Um, with When I tore it in 2000, I didn't really know what happened. It wasn't painful. It wasn't violent. It was just kind of a weird sensation. And I, I wasn't really sure exactly what happened. And um, <clears throat> this one was different. It was violent. It was painful. You know, I, I, I just you know, I kind of hopped out of the place. I kind of panicked and just jumped up and hop really just hopped to my car and cried my way home. Um, I think I called dad right away, you know, you know, told him I hurt my leg. I think, I don't think it's, I think it's bad. You know, I called Adam Katz, our agent told him what happened. And then I remember the next morning waking up and actually thinking, you know what, maybe, maybe the fact that it was so violent, maybe it's like my MCL, which is a less severe injury potentially, but maybe it just hurt more the violence of it. And uh, I remember going up to LA that I, I think that day I drove up to, to get the MRI with Dr. Yoakum. And uh, I remember I could hear him in the other room when he first saw the image before he came in and told me and say, yeah, it's the cruciate. And I can see him and hear him saying it in the other room. And I just kind of, I don't know if I broke down, but I, I, I was just, man, bummed. And, and so really it wasn't like a, I mean, it was just, here's what happened, you know? And that, so we, uh, you know, we we're a month away from spring training or, or maybe less. And, you know, we just called the Yankees and told them what happened. And, you know, that was that it was just, it was what I did. And I, I wasn't, I wasn't like, obviously wasn't happy that it happened, but I didn't feel like I was doing anything reckless. I didn't feel irresponsible. Bottom line is I was out trying to get a little exercise on a Friday night and life got me, you know, I mean, it wasn't like I was doing something overly reckless, but anyway, so I ended up getting released from my contract um, because, because of the violation in the contract. And then, um, you know, became a free agent and, you know, it gave me a chance during that year to, you know, rehab and, and kind of be a free agent during the season with other teams. And I ended up signing uh, a multi-year deal with, with Cleveland that summer and, and uh, ended up spending a couple of years with the Indians. So, um, you know, all in all, I kind of look back on it. I was like, of course you wish it didn't happen, but I also look at it as it's all part of, you know, my story and, um, you know, sometimes those things you're better for having gone through them and, you know, is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So re- you retire in 09 okay, and you head to yep. the booth and here's where the Harry Callis, Connie Mack world series, Andy, <laughs> Andy Muss, you know, all, all the, all the guys you, you grew up emulating, uh, imitating. Here's your chance to put it to work. And, and mm-hmm. uh, I remember when you went into the booth, I said, this is when he was a little kid tagging along with us. That's what he was working on for this moment right here. Talk a little bit about uh, your time at ESPN and, and doing Monday Night Baseball. You, you were there for a while. Yeah. So I, I when the 09 season ended that postseason, I did a I did a um, I did the Dodgers and the Cardinals for ESPN radio. Uh, it, it ended up being a three game sweep and it was just. Um, I loved it. 
it was it was just cool being on the radio and calling a game. And so then that winter, um, you know, I go and kind of audition. I did some things with the MLB Network. I went and did an audition for ESPN. They end up hiring me, and I was there for seven years. And you know, when I first got out of the game, I was debating between maybe taking a front office position and getting involved with the team right away. Um, but I thought, you know, as a current player, probably if I wanted to do the TV thing, it was probably best to give it a shot right away. And, um, and like you said, I grew up, you know, being influenced by, you know, the Harry calluses of the world. And I always had an interest in broadcasters and the presentations of games and things like that. So, in a lot of ways, it was very natural for me to go into it. I I really enjoyed it. Um, I met a lot of great people along the way. I got to work with great people, eventually getting to Sunday night and doing those with Dan Schulman. Um, it was just, it was just a lot of fun. I think, so I was there, I guess, eight years with ESPN. And then by the end of, of my ESPN run though, I was really starting to get it's really starting to get the pull. Like I wanted to be back with a team. I wanted that competition. I wanted, and and I didn't even know necessarily what role. And I had actually, I was doing the world series for ESPN radio. Dan Schulman and I were doing the um, Dodgers and Astros series in 2017. So before each game, you know, you get, we're in the manager's office and I'm in there, every night with Dave Roberts and AJ Hinch. Well, you know, these guys are friends of mine, guys I've known forever. Dave Roberts was at UCLA when I was at SC. AJ Hinch was at Stanford when I was at SC. AJ and I played on the U.S. junior team. So these were like peers, truly. And I just felt like in a lot of ways, you know, I was looking in the mirror when I was in their office, just talking to them before the game. And I just really felt this kind of pull to want to get back in the game in some way. And so I had, I had taken, I had actually agreed to join a front office with the team um, and, and was going to leave ESPN and was joining the front office with this team. And, and, uh, and, and then I got a call out of the blue from Brian Cashman. And I was actually at my son's Sergo's football game in Arizona, I'm sitting in the stands on a Saturday afternoon and cash calls me and says, Hey, do you want to interview for, for this job? You know, the Yankee job to come open, obviously. And I was like, absolutely. And, and I, I, I wasn't like I was setting out to manage or had plans to go jump into managing or anything like that. But when the New York Yankees call and, you know, ask about their managerials, my first reaction was absolutely. I want to interview for that having no idea, you know, what the heck I was doing. So he tells me, all right, Ben Tulibitz, our traveling secretary is going to call you in the next couple of days. He'll arrange, you know, for you to get out and come interview for it next week. So, um, so I, I go out to New York the next week for the interview. Um, and you know, it was, it was about a seven hour interview and I remember getting done with the interview and well, let me, let me backtrack a little bit. I remember leaving Arizona, not necessarily knowing what to expect, having not gone through the interview process before, but also feeling like, 
you know what, I'm, I'm going out there with the expectation that I'm getting this job and putting my best foot forward. So I go there, I go through the interview. It's about a seven hour process. I get done with the interview. I get back to my hotel in in Manhattan and I lay down on the bed and I'm kind of exhausted because it's like this, it was like this amazing, like fun, challenging, hard grind of a, of a, of an interview that just kind of mentally and emotionally drained you by the end of it. And the next morning I leave to go back to Arizona to fly home and everyone's asking me how to, how to go. You think you got it? What do you think? Da, da, da. And I'm like, at that point I was like, you know what? I, I, I think it went well, but I have no idea. I'm either their guy or I'm not. And so there was this incredible piece I had, like I went out there with like the ambition and the, and the hope of getting the job. But once I went through the interview, it was like, I did my best. I thought it went well, but who knows? And I was very at at peace with whatever came of it. Like this was either going to be a great experience and maybe lead to me wanting to interview again, or I'm going to get this job. And, you know, it was about a, I don't know how much longer it was, but maybe a week or 10 days. And, um, and I got a call from cash and said, Hey, uh, I just want to know, are you ready to commit to this? Because if you are, we're, we're ready to focus solely on you becoming the manager. I said, absolutely. And, um, I went in the house and, you know, one of the first calls I made, I called dad and you know how dad is, he's kind of checking in every day in his own way, like not trying not to, you know, protrude too much, but wanting to know like, Hey, what are you hearing? So what I did was I called dad. And at this point I wasn't allowed to let anyone know, but I called dad and I said, (laughs) I said, uh, the Yankees just called kind of, kind of downplaying. And he goes, Oh, they did said, yeah. And I'm like, I got it. And, uh, you know, at that point now our dad cries a lot (laughs) as you know, yes, he tends to, but at that point, you know, he, he hadn't been crying as much in our lifetime at that point. And I remember (laughs) hearing on the other line, him starting to kind of laugh, but then into, into crying. Like he was just, just so excited and happy. And he was on the golf course actually with a couple of friends. I said, but dad, you can't tell anyone yet. You know, it's, we're not allowed to let anyone know. And he was just, I said, you can't even tell mom tonight. We'll let her know tomorrow. And so eventually in the next couple of days, obviously uh, we started letting people know when it came out and everything, but that's kind of how it, it went down. No, and it's pretty awesome. It's it's it had to be a little bit surreal for you that first time, and you know, years earlier you're hitting the big home run, <laughs> then you're getting released. Uh, now you're sitting in in what was Joe Torrey's office, and, and you're the skipper of the Yankees. I know as a brother, it was, it was a proud moment, pretty cool, uh, pretty unique opportunity. Uh, never managed anywhere, uh, and, and you get put in charge of of uh, one of the biggest franchises in the world. And I want to talk about your first uh, couple years there. And it's it's been, well, it's been two years uh, or three years, but it's really been two and a half with the COVID season last year. But I just look at what you've done um, 
100, you won 100 games in your first two seasons. You get the guys back to the playoffs last year. It's New York. Obviously, it's intense. The pressure's uh, very high. Uh, but with all the injuries you've had and, and the, I don't know, the job you've done, I, I think it's been – exceptional and, and i also think your front office as an organization everybody's done their part and and really has done an exceptional uh job over the last three years how's it been for you um and and did you draw on any any uh of previous managers or coaches from an influence mm-hmm. standpoint yeah so first of all it hasn't been two and a half years covid may have been a shorter game and season, but that, that should have counted as a year and a half. <laughs> I'm, just, was, I'm, was, a, uh, I'm a fan. It was a half, yeah, it was was even a half season. So it's a quarter. Uh, yeah, right. Um, no, so it's been, um, honestly, it's been awesome. I, I, I really feel so lucky to get to work in this organization, you know, the Steinbrenner family is just such such a good group of owners that are like obviously all in to win and tremendous resources for us and um, just are a great ownership group to work for. But then Brian Cashman and his front office, like we just have a it's it's just a very good place to go to work every day. And you know one of the things you know I try to do with with our clubhouse and our culture. But I think as with the Yankees is we want to make it a place that you love coming to work every day. And, you know, I think sometimes people think of the Yankees and think of this buttoned up corporate, very serious, which, of you know, we're very serious about what we're doing. And we want it. We're, we're about winning championships and that's what we're trying to do. But it's a place where, you know, we have a lot of fun and, and people um, I feel like are are really able to come and be themselves and, and feel comfortable. And I feel like it's a really good place um, for people to come to work. And it, it's been such a, a fun, rewarding, hard um, experience and, and, and job. And I just, I, I just feel really grateful that like, uh, you know, I've had some continuity for the most part in my coaching staff that, I, I love working with these guys. Um, I love my, my staff members um, and, and then the players, you know, we've, we've had a great core of players for the few years that I've been here. You know, we continue to add players that have been really great influences on our, on our culture. And, and I feel like it's a place that um, you want to come work every day. And, and I think when you, have a job. Um, you know, that's one of the things you hope for. You hope that it's something you're passionate about and that you love doing and that you love coming to work, even, even on the days when it's hard or when there's difficult things that are coming across the desk. Um, it's just been something that's been very rewarding and, and something that I cherish. And Brian Cashman has been, you know, mentioned a lot in this in this program and it's been a big part of your life and is a big part of your life now. What's cash like? And for the audience out there, how important is that manager general manager relationship? I think it's very important. Um, you know, I think it's, I think it's, it's important that you get, that you were, you know, um, 
can be honest with each other, um, that have a open dialogue, that have a great working relationship. And, and that's certainly been the case. What is Cash like? Um, he's, he's, he's a practical joker. Um, he, he creates an environment that's, that encourages people to, you know, ha- give their opinion to be themselves. Um, and, and he's really smart and one of the best, uh, in the, in the sport of doing it. And one of the best that's ever done it. I mean, his track record speaks for itself to, to be now the general manager of the New York Yankees for probably 23 ish years to be in the organization for well over 30 years now, um, is, is just a tribute to, um, you know, how he, first of all, his intelligence, his ability to, to run a franchise, his ability to deal with people, um, you know, on the biggest stage and, and to have that kind of longevity in a Yankee organization, um, it's been really impressive, but I, I guess the the best part about it is he's just somebody that you enjoy going to work with and you enjoy going to work for because he he helps create um, what is a very special environment that that I think a lot of people want to be a part of. All right, I, I want to close on this. I want to uh, I want to talk about before we set a record for the longest podcast in the history of the universe. Let's talk about this year's Yankee team. You know mm-hmm. how I uh, we talk time to time, and, and I keep my eye, and I'm watching what you're doing. I really like this Kluber deal. Uh, I think if Kluber can be Kluber, uh, you got something there. Man, I, I've been waiting for Severino. I, I just see all the potential in the world uh, to be a number one caliber starter. See what you're going to get him a little bit into the season. Jermon coming back. Uh, how excited are you about the 2021 uh, season? I feel great about our team. I, I think uh, I think we've had a great winter. You know, last winter we go out and obviously bring in Garrett Cole, you know, arguably the game's best pitcher, and it's this huge free agent splash. You know, this year, you know, it was obviously re-signing DJ was the big priority for us. We were able to get that done. You know, he's obviously been a great player for us, but – you know, also one of the leaders in our clubhouse. Um, but then, you know, it, it was some of the under the radar moves that I feel like Brian in the front office were able to pull off that I, I think have really put us in a good position, bringing in Kluber, bringing in Jamison Tyone, two guys that are really good and have been really good to even great pitchers, obviously Kluber having a couple Cy Youngs under his belt. But these guys are healthy, and we feel really good about where they're at. You said Herman coming back. Some of the guys that were able to get experience, like a Davey Garcia and Clark Schmidt and Michael King last year, um, Sevy coming back at some point this summer. I, I think one of the things that's going to be critical in Major League Baseball this year is having starting pitching depth, and I feel like – we've created that here because coming off a 60 game season, you know, and and for us having guys that are returning from injury, you know, it's, it's going to be hard to lean on guys for 200 innings here or 180 innings here when you're coming off such a truncated season or bringing guys back from injury. So to have what I feel like is 10, 11 really quality options 
at the start of the season because I think it's going to be important to be able to mix and match and protect guys at certain points of the year. Um, so I do feel really good about our pitching depth and what that's going to allow us to do. I think we've made some great moves to to kind of solidify our bullpen. We just brought in Justin Wilson and, and Darren O'Day to the middle. We, we were able to get Zach Britton back, you know, to go with Aroldis Chapman and Chad Green back there. So we feel really good about our setup core and our back end of the bullpen. You know, our lineup is largely intact. These guys are healthy, um, have come in in really good shape. And we feel like if, if, if we can stay healthy, um, you know, we have a chance to be a special team, but, you know, we also understand that it's February and, you know, it's, it's a long time between now and the end of the season. So it's a long way to go, but we feel like at least at the onset here, um, we have a chance to do something great. All right, Arn. Uh, all good stuff, man. Thanks a lot for coming on. Uh, appreciate it. And what we do here on the Boone Podcast, as you know, we bring back the voice of the Boone Podcast. Dan yeah, Levy. we do. Yeah, we got the big question for Mr. Boone, young Boone, the taller <laughs> of the Boones. Danny? That's right. Hi, Aaron. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great, Danny. I survived. <laughs> so far, so good. So, so far. far, so good. Little glitches, but here we go. All right. This <laughs> one is from Jim in Atlanta. Aaron, tell us something we don't know about your brother, Brett. Brett, when we first moved to California um, from New Jersey, so, you know, we're, we're kind of like, think, think karate kid. We're going from South Jersey, you know, where it's at that point in time, it's, preppy, you know, sweaters, feathered hair, you know, to all of a sudden Brett in, you know, at that point in the ninth and 10th grade really got jumped right into Southern California surfer culture. And we wake up one morning and Brett walks out and his hair is orange. So he decided at that point he was going to start bleaching and coloring his hair, but his first go around it was a uh, orange. It was orange. He had orange hair walking out of his room, and that was when we knew he was really baptized into becoming a Southern California kid. <laughs> every time How's I that? ask, every time I ask somebody, tell me something about Brett Boone. I always think the story isn't going to be that good. They just keep getting better. All right. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was great to finally have you on. Well, I appreciate it. And uh, it was fun being on with you guys. Mailbag. All right, Brett, you know that sound. It is time to dip our hands into the Brett Boone mailbag. You ready to roll? I'm ready to roll. All right, let's do it. All right, Brett, this one's from Marty in Pasadena. Brett. Max Muncy talked about having 10 guys sleeping on air mattresses in the minor leagues and eating peanut butter. What was the minor leagues like for you? Wow. Uh, great question. I, I, uh, Max was telling that story and, and it brought me back because, uh, we had similar stories. He went from Baylor to the minor leagues. I went from university of Southern California where you, you, you are, you're, <laughs> you're traveling, uh, by plane. Uh, it's a big time university. You know, you've got nice stuff. They pulled me into peninsula, I played for the Peninsula Pilots uh, back in Virginia. And I remember rolling up to the ballpark in 
this ballpark was built probably in the early 1900s. I'm coming from USC, and I just went, are you kidding me with this? Uh, the first night, the first night I'll never forget, uh, you know, because I grew up, I, I grew up, you know, with my dad going to big league clubhouses. And after the game, they've got the spread. And uh, I remember coming in after my first A-ball game in the Carolina League, and I looked at the guy that was kind of in charge of that clubhouse. And I said, hey, clubby, where's the spread? And he looked at me. And he goes, I got your spread, big leaguer. He grabbed all the hot dogs that hadn't been sold in the stands, cold wrappers coming off. He threw them into the middle of the room. He goes, there's your spread. <laughs> and that was my introduction <laughs> to the minor leagues. A bit humbling. A little harsh, a little harsh. I like it. All right, let's go back in here. All right, this one's from Jim in St. Pete, Florida. Brett, what does it take to get kicked out of a game, and what do you do after you've been tossed? Can you leave and go home, or do you have to stay even if you got booted out? Jim, I think this is this is all about uh, knowing, pe- being able to read people. You know, obviously, my brother Aaron is not up to the challenge; he gets thrown out all the time. But it's something you're born with. I think it's innate. You know how to push that limit right up to where you're going to get thrown out and then be able to throttle back. I I did that in high school as a kid in uh, grade school, actually, is I'd push my teachers and and they liked Brett. They liked Brett until they didn't like Brett anymore. And I knew when I was at that line where they were starting not to really like me and I was going to have a detention and I knew how to, I don't know. I just had a a way of, of throttling back. Same thing for me on the field. You know, I, I, I was fortunate enough to play a lot of years. I only got kicked out of one game in my entire career. And it, it was kind of a weird one. But uh, I, I just kind of had that rapport with the umpires. Uh, I was buddy buddies with all of them because I knew one, one day I was going to need them. And I just kind of knew what, their, what each and every one of their threshold was. And, and I wouldn't cross that line. All right. Well, that's going to do it for the Brett Boone Podcast. My name is Dan Levy. I'm the technical director and producer of the Brett Boone Podcast. The executive producer of the Boone Podcast is Rich Herrera. The digital content for the Boone Podcast is provided by Liz Landry. Please share the Boone Podcast with neighbors, friends, and make sure you subscribe to the Boone Podcast so you never miss an episode of the show. And while you're at it, please give us a five-star rating and share your feelings about the Boone Podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to for the show. For all of us here at the Brett Boone Podcast, I'm Dan Levy. Thanks for listening.